Hello and welcome to the Daily Post podcast. My name is Yuri Mello. I will be your host as I guide you through the most valuable and relevant emotional and psychological ideas. Ideas that will transform your perspective and enhance your personal life and relationships. Let's do this. This is episode number nine. Forgiveness is an inside job. Hello, you amazing individual. Oh my goodness, I hope you are doing well. It is just a beautiful day here where I am. I hope it's a beautiful day wherever you are. I am excited to be here. This this is an important episode for me. I'm sure it's an important episode for you, in part because forgiveness and redemption, I feel, are <laughs> just these essential parts of life, and they're these critical pieces that even now, like uh, even as I begin to talk about it, I, I feel a little bit anxious about because I know, I know what's coming at the end of this episode, um, and as I perhaps share with you some of my own personal things, um, perhaps even now as I introduce this topic, you yourself may be thinking about or considering some things from your own life whether these are recent things that are still kind of ailing you or whether these are things from your past, things that you've dealt with or that were done to you. Um, And so here we are. We talk about forgiveness and the great need in this world. I I feel like there is a great need to forgive in this world, perhaps more than any other internal ideology that you and I can and must adopt forgiveness, I think must be at the center of that. Our ability to forgive or not forgive says something about us. It says something about our relationship to the world as well as the quality of the interactions with others and around us. I believe, and this may be, this is a, a crux I believe that forgiveness is a natural occurrence when our mind and heart are clear and in line with the truth. And I know that the truth is is a bit of a challenging word, but for right now, let, let me just give some of the reasons, some of the underpinnings, some of the psychological understanding as to why I believe psychology, and some of the spiritual one as well, some of the reasons why I feel that forgiveness is just key, and perhaps more here than in any other chapter, I just want to emphasize the sensitivity and tenderness with which I'm attempting to address this topic, understanding that these words will reach some of you whose pain is terrible, whose experience of life has been filled with trauma, great injustices, and fear. This is not an episode about fairness or equality. And I speak to you not only as a therapist attempting to improve your own individual well-being, but also as a friend who wishes for you to find a greater endowment of peace that will follow as you transform your internal psychology 
to the point that forgiveness is something that flows from you simply because you will no longer resolve to stop it or obstruct it. Let me begin by first describing what forgiveness is not. Number one, forgiveness is not forgetting. The old adage, forgive and forget, honestly, I just don't find that there's a ton of merit to it. To me, it feels kind of an inaccurate expectation that creates further frustration and resentment. That frustration occurs in part because we simply cannot forget. Our amazing and wonderful brain retains those memories for us, in part, I think, because it wishes to protect us from future harm. We also remember because the brain recalls intense moments especially well. Number two, forgiveness is not condoning. When we forgive, we're not condoning any form of abuse. Instead, what we are promoting is redemption, hope, and beauty. I believe that forgiveness is our gift to the world. Number three, forgiveness is not immediate trusting. I can imagine a variety of scenarios in which my forgiveness of an event or an individual is completely separate from the degree of trust that I can place on that individual or circumstance in the future. That trust may grow over time and I may allow for some circumstances, and yet I feel perfectly at peace in placing some measure of protection to try and stop the event from happening again. Forgiveness is perfectly logical, not illogical. Number four, forgiveness can include a complete emotional healing but it doesn't necessarily have to. People, I've had this question so many times. People will ask me and they'll say, Yuri, I feel that I have forgiven, but sometimes I still feel afraid. I have thoughts of anger and bitterness. Look, I just want to be reasonable here. I don't believe that forgiveness has to include a guarantee that releases us from the cross that we sometimes may have to shoulder. That, of course, I believe is one of the great realities of life, which we will have to carry the consequences of others' faults and sins upon our back. That is just the truth. And resisting that truth will cause you to live in in bitterness and resentment. I believe that accepting that will liberate you and cause you to experience a more calm and peaceful existence. Number five, Forgiveness is not ignoring what occurred. In fact, an important part of healing properly involves communicating about it with someone who has proven proven worthy of your trust. I often remind clients that when we're able to talk about something, our ability to control that something increases. When we can't or won't talk about something, that something gains control over us. Recognize that a conversation may have to occur repeatedly and across a time span. It's not about dragging something out of the closet and beating it to death. It's about decreasing any level of shame, guilt, or hurt that is still residing within the individual's memory. Number six, forgiveness is not a return to things as they were. I have lots of couples that sometimes communicate a hopeful desire to return to something that was previously Sameness is not what we are after. What lies ahead is uncertain. 
It could be better, closer, more honest, and yet in another circumstance, the relationship may suffer to the point that a close, intimate relationship is not desirable or healthy. In addition, I find that trauma changes us. That's why it's trauma. So a return to something old is not only unrealistic, but potentially problematic, as one's expectations of what should be happening don't match up with what is happening in the present and what will happen in the future. Number seven, forgiveness is not dependent on others' behavior. Forgiveness is a psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually mature practice. Now, whether you have a spiritual foundation or not, the revolutionary words that Jesus spoke are consistent with this enlightened understanding of ourselves and others. He said, Ye have heard it said that thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Secular or religious or whatever, (laughs) this is hard and yet powerful doctrine. It is a powerful philosophy, which almost makes me wonder, and I hope that you would wonder, what would we have to understand or realize to be able to believe in such a way? What is it that we would have to realize about ourselves and others to respond from such a place of love and peace? Later on, I'm going to talk about a few examples that can perhaps shed some light on this very question. Now, there's a lot of good books out there and some good reading and articles about forgiveness and why forgive and why to forgive and how to do it. Fred Luskin, um, I would say that perhaps he's an expert in this art of forgiveness and an author of a book that I believe is a good source or a good resource called Forgive for Good states that forgiveness consists of two parts. Number one, making peace. And number two, achieving that peace by resolving our objection to life. Our objection to what has happened to us and the fact that it wasn't what we wanted to have happen. Mr. Luskin also suggests that at the heart of forgiveness is gratitude and compassion. In a way, the individual who inhabits this philosophy of gratitude and compassion is the individual who is able to make peace and be fully accepting of what is occurring. This lack of objection and resistance allows him to shift from the obsessive hope focus on how unfair and just and victimized he's been to the emancipating realization that he will no longer object to what has occurred and will give up on the unanswerable question of why it has happened to him. Instead, he will make peace by fully accepting what has happened to him and then spend his time, focus, and energy on discovering how that tragedy or series of tragedies, right, is preparing him for this very moment and for the future life that he will live. He will have to ask the hard questions and meditate on how this event may yet bless him 
and give him valuable knowledge and experience. He will shift from the retarding mindset of what can I expect from this world to what does this world expect from me? And as he or she begins to make those transformations over time, he will begin to shift from powerless to powerful, from victim to teacher, from hurt to courageous, from fearful to loving. Look, I hope you you know me enough now to know that I am not attempting to sound preachy here. I have no concept of your pain, nor do I have any idea of the horror that some of you have been subjected to. But let me, sub- let me suggest from this, my accepted place of ignorance, that there is peace and hope, that there is liberation and growth, and that it is possible. And in some way, fair or unfair or unfair, it is now part of your life purpose. I absolutely love the book Les Miserables, right? I, I don't know if you've read it. Perhaps you've seen one of the screenplay adaptations or a play or one of the movies. What is it about that story? What is it about Jean Valjean, who was the protagonist in that story, that has for so many years captured the human heart? It is the fact that it resonates a deep truth that lies at the very center of who we are and what is true about this life. It is the divine and transformative power of redemption. It is the hope that despite our stupidity, immaturity, ignorance, wrongdoing, selfishness, abuse, and neglect, that we can return, redeem, transform, and grow toward a brighter existence. I don't know if you know that story, but in this story, Jean Valjean is released from prison after serving, I think, 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread. He's a convict and and basically carries this convict status. He is released, but has nowhere to go, no place where he can be accepted. And in a merciful way, a loving priest receives him and feeds him and gives him a place to stay, in which he does. He stays, and during the night, Jean Valjean, basically hopeless and feeling helpless, helpless, robs this priest, takes away, takes his silver, takes his forks, takes his knives, and takes all of this merchandise from the man's home, hoping at some point to maybe pawn it or to make some money or to perhaps make a new life. The rest of the story is what is interesting here. As Jean Valjean becomes apprehended by some guards who catch him later on with these forks and knives and, of course, assume, because he is a convict, a convict that he has been released, the guards bring him back, storming into the priest's house and say, we have caught this man. He has this silver, he has this gold, I mean, he has this, these silver forks, these silver spoons, these silver knives that he has robbed from you. And what happens then becomes a transformative episode in this man's life. Even though this story is fictional, it is powerful. And I have seen it replicated in real life with real people in real circumstances. As they bring the man back, 
the priest surprises Valjean and the guards by saying, Jean Valjean, you not only have taken this, but remember, you forgot to take the candlesticks as well. These are probably worth 200 francs in the market. Please take them as well. And when he sends the guards away, the priest speaks to Jean Valjean and he says, Go in peace. By way, when you return, my friend, it is not necessary to pass through the garden gate. You can always enter and depart through the street door. It is never locked. It is never fastened with anything but a latch, either by day or by night. As the guards walk away, the bishop draws close to Jean Valjean and he says, Do not forget, never forget, that you have promised to use this money in becoming an honest man. And then he utters the words, Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil but to good. It is your soul that I buy from you. I withdraw it from black thoughts and the spirit of perdition, and I give it to God. And at that point, Jean Valjean makes a turn in his life, and he becomes an extraordinary individual. Like I said before, even though this is fiction, I have seen events like this in real life. One of them was told in a story that I, is, is remarkable to me. It talks about a woman uh, whose name I actually cannot recall at that time. But this, the newspaper article or this speech speaks begins like this. It's, it begins with a question. How would you feel toward a teenager who decided to toss a 20-pound frozen turkey from a speeding car headlong into the windshield of a car you were driving. How would you feel after enduring six hours of surgery using metal plates and other hardware to piece your face together, and after learning you still face years of therapy before returning to normal, and that you ought to feel lucky you didn't die or suffer, or suffer permanent brain damage? And how would you feel after learning that your assailant and his buddies had the turkey in the first place because they had stolen a credit card and gone on a senseless shopping spree just for kicks? This is the kind of hideous crime that propels politicians to office on premises of getting tough on crime. It is the kind of thing that prompts legislators to climb all over each other in a struggle to be the first to introduce a bill that would add enhanced penalties for the use of a frozen fowl in the commission of a crime. The New York Times quoted the district attorney as saying, this is the sort of crime for which victims feel no punishment is harsh enough. Death doesn't even satisfy them, he said. Which is what makes what really happens so unusual. The victim, Victoria Ruvolo, a 44-year-old former manager of a collections agency, was more interesting in salvaging the life of her 19-year-old assailant, Ryan Cushing, than in exacting any sort of revenge. She pestered persecutors for information about him, his life, how he was raised, etc. Then she insisted on offering him a plea deal. Cushing could serve six months in the county jail and be on probation for five years if he pleaded guilty to second-degree assault. Had he been convicted of first-degree assault, the charge most fitting for the crime, he could have served 25 years in prison, 
finally thrown back into society as a middle-aged man with no skills or prospects. But this is only half the story. The rest of it, what happened the day this all played out in court, is the truly remarkable part. According to an account in the New York Post, Cushing carefully and tentatively made his way to where Ravolo sat in the courtroom and tearfully whispered an apology. I'm so sorry for what I did to you. Ruvolo then stood, and the victim and her assailant embraced, weeping. She stroked his head and patted his back as he sobbed, and witnesses, including a Times reporter, heard her say, It's okay. I just want you to make your life the best that it can be. According to accounts, hardened prosecutors and even reporters were, cho- were choking back tears. As you can see, there is power in redemption. And oh my gosh, there is forgiveness that is needed in this world. So what exactly is forgiveness? How shall we define it? What do we have to realize and understand about ourselves and others to commit to forgiving others? Lastly, and I'll talk about it in a while, is how do we engage in this process? I believe that forgiveness can be defined as letting go of hate, resentment, bitterness, or ill will towards another human being. This includes us, by the way. The practice of forgiveness has been shown to reduce anger, hurt, depression, and stress, and leads to greater feelings of hope, peace, compassion, and self-confidence. Practicing forgiveness leads to healthy relationships as well as to better physical health. It also influences our attitudes, which opens the heart to kindness, beauty, and love. What would we have to understand or realize to be forgiving of others and ourselves? I'm reminded of Marianne Williamson's words in her famous book, Return to Love. She says, the choice to follow love through to its completion is the choice to seek completion within ourselves. The point at which we shut down on others is the point at which we shut down on life. We heal as we heal others. And we heal others by extending our perceptions past their weaknesses. Until we have seen someone's darkness, we don't really know who that person is. Until we have forgiven someone's darkness, we don't really know what love is. Forgiving others is the only way to forgive ourselves, and forgiveness is our greatest need. Close quotes. My hope is for forgiveness to become a natural practice for you, something that is not forced, which flows from you simply because you see yourself and others in a more clear light. As I've studied and observed those who were forgiven, I find three specific ideologies that they possess. One, they practice radical acceptance. When the dream we hope for dies in favor of reality, we must act from within that reality and not from where we think we should be. 
Fred Luskin explains that resentment and bitterness are our own creation when we refuse to act from a place that is and instead react from a place of where we things think where we thinks things ought to be. Our conflict or objection between what has happened and what we wish would have happened is what Dan Millman describes as the genesis of our suffering. He states, stress and anxiety happen when we resist what is. Life is not a menu where we get to show our ignorant indignation when something we want is not available. That sense of entitlement and I deserve type psychology is complete nonsense. It's just unrealistic and harmful. It will not yield a positive outcome. It will instead promote an obsessive hunger and thirst that will never be filled. This willingness, this submissive acceptance, assumes a deeper spiritual truth, a purpose that is inherent in things. The realization that life and people don't give us what we want, but what we need to grow and evolve. C.S. Lewis expresses this idea when he describes us as a block of granite with God or life as the sculptor and the painful blows of chisel and hammer leave us hurt, overwhelmed, and fearful. And yet those same blows shape us and lead us to be partakers of the divine nature. Number two, these individuals realize that we are all beggars in need of mercy understanding, and kindness. Those for whom forgiveness is a natural endeavor have a true understanding of their own faults, misgivings, and potential for serious error. Jesus once again challenges the perceptions of the day by relating this simple parable. Two men, he says, went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Pharisees were known to be kind of superiors or, or the teachers and publicans were, were despised and looked down. The story continues, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. He said, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publicans, standing afar off, would, lot, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted, close quote. Yet another time he taught the same primitive tendency to obsess about others' faults while disregarding our own when he said, how canst thou say to thy brother, brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye. It is the realization that we are all traveling through this together, learning to love, learning to be loved, learning to forgive others as well as, as well as ourselves. Remember, forgiveness is logical. It makes sense. Forgiveness is the natural manifestation of the enlightened understanding. 
Number three, we realize that we are mere mortals. I'm reminded of Dieter Uchtdorf's quote or words that he said, we as mortals are scarcely more than awkward, faltering toddlers. This realization helps me, and I hope it helps you, to view yourself and others from a more accurate and compassionate perspective. I find it interesting that as the light of my knowledge and experience expands, so does the realization of my own ignorance. Accepting our ignorance not as a curse, but as something that we are called to attend to and bring the light of truth into is one of the primary purposes of our existence. This powerful form of meekness and humility will fill you with gratitude and an effortless compassion toward others. The critical realization that much of who we've been was not consciously chosen by us. That the people, cultural, and environment that we were raised around have, a dr- have dramatically impacted our way of being. It's difficult even now for me to admit that I too could perpetrate horror upon others. And yet, had I been raised differently, had I been exposed to the horror, abuse, brainwashing, and terrible circumstances that others have been, I too might be wandering through this life causing pain where pain was inflicted upon me. And yet every individual has moments where the divine light shines through. Those moments of eureka are calls to us for us to rise and to seek help, to examine our lives and discover the tragic ideals that rest within us, wreaking havoc individually and interpersonally. Forgiveness of ourselves and others is not only the honor and responsibility to influence the lives of others, but the permission to try again. Finally, how do we begin this process of forgiving? I believe it's helpful to have a plan, almost a structure, right? Something that can help you to move you from where you are to that peace that awaits you just just beyond. Here are a few steps for you to consider as you commit to being forgiving. Number one, Allow yourself space. Remember who you are. It's okay to feel, honestly. Give yourself permission to be human, to be mortal. We can get so very hurt, and life can be so increasingly difficult at times. Remember that forgiveness may not necessarily create complete emotional relief. There may be pain, trauma, and regret that's still associated with whatever event or act. Our purpose is to reduce the impact of those emotions so that we ourselves can act out our lives in ways that are meaningful and purposeful to us instead of being acted upon by the emotional events of our past. Two, remember to be mindful. As you, rem- as you become more full of mind, you recognize the trauma and hurt that is stored in the brain and that it isn't a representation of the future. You recognize that the fear, pain, paranoia, trauma, and insecurity as tools that the brain has used to protect you from more pain. But you are older, wiser, more experienced now. You're a man or woman. It is time to upgrade your, you to upgrade your own current operating system. It is time to evolve beyond what your brain is presenting. Forgiveness is a process. It is a mindset. 
It is something that is engaged purposefully and patiently, slowly by slowly, line upon line. This new philosophy will become the norm for you, and your whole body will cooperate as your internal philosophy and behavior joins forces congruently. Number three, acknowledge what has happened and identify how you feel about it. Events and circumstances can be so brutal at times that we may get lost and overwhelmed. During those moments, we may lose consciousness and not fully understand where we really are and what we should do. Take time to identify how you feel about things by journaling about them, by processing things with a close friend, a worthy family member, or a therapist, or or even a religious leader with whom you trust. Also, use this process of, of questioning, how I've questioned, to flesh out some of the feelings that you are experiencing. Number four, generate a plan. Remember that forgiveness is about you finding peace, blaming less, and taking meaningful and purposeful action. Try these steps as you engage and invest in the process of forgiveness. One, make a commitment to yourself that you will engage in this process and that you will do whatever it takes to feel better about it. Two, engage and invest in the process by picking a good book that will promote positive insight or continue listening to these podcasts or even listen to this one over and over again. Three, ask yourself, what would you have to realize about yourself and about others to forgive? This is a powerful question, one that you may choose to meditate about. What would you have to realize to forgive? Number four, ask yourself, what would you like to feel instead, instead of the pain and anger that you are feeling now? Five, ask yourself, what would have to happen for you to make peace with what has occurred? Six, Dr. Hollowell, author of Dare to Forgive, suggests that we look for the hook. The hook is what is holding you back. It's the portion of the misdeed that is causing you to hold on to your anger and resentment. And lastly, take courage and ask this daring question. I can be grateful for, and then fill in whatever event or circumstance, because dot, dot, dot. I can be grateful for, and fill it in with the event or events, because dot, dot, dot. Be brave. Ponder. Pray, meditate deeply upon this last question. Open your heart for another potential outcome. I hope this last, this episode has been of some help to you. Remember that forgiveness is the manifestation of an internal philosophy that either supports it or rejects it. I am coming back in my mind, and perhaps you have throughout this episode as well, as you've thought about your own life, I've thought about my past year. My father passed, and I had not spent a lot of time with my father. My father and my mom separated. Uh, My dad left when I was maybe around 11 or 12, and uh, kind of uh, surprisingly, And uh, I was absolutely upset 
and for a long time did not speak to him, did not visit him. Uh, I visited him one time when uh, he had remarried already and uh, or actually was living with somebody else. And uh, honestly, that was not a good experience for me, so much so that I did not return. After that, I moved to the United States, and uh, and communication became very, very scarce. Um, but my dad became very ill uh, last year uh, to the point that he was about to die, and my good brother... Uh, called me and told me that I should come and see him and, and say goodbye to my father. I had seen him since then, and we had maintained some light contact. Uh, but it was, but it was honest to, to be honest. As as much as I felt like we had a, a friendly relationship, I I wouldn't say that my dad was somebody that I, that I truly trusted or that I would go go to him with my life or with questions or with advice or suggestions. And so in some respect, I had not forgiven him. But as I watched my father in the last years of his life, as he suffered with Parkinson's and he had um, these enormous uh, bed sores in his body, and I watched him in pain and many of the times unconscious or unresponsive, but during those last few days in which I saw him, we were able to, uh, by just simply by grace, honestly, to uh, to be able to talk to my dad for very few moments. He had a very feeble voice. And it was really interesting because as I find myself at his bedside and as he was dying... I found myself not uh, not uh, not forgiving him, but but begging him for my own forgiveness. and uh, ha- and hearing him say, that it was okay. It's an interesting thing, this life, isn't it? Anyways, I hope that that was a powerful experience for him to perhaps reconcile with me a little bit at the end of his life and for me to seek forgiveness for my own hardness. Anyways, this is what I feared at the beginning of this doggone episode. (laughs) And yet it is good. I'm happy to share it with you, hoping that perhaps you can too move daringly and courageously toward making some amends in your life. And not only giving people the gift of your own forgiveness, uh, but seeking your own as well. Anyways, thank you so much for being part of this community. Thank you so much for sharing your questions and your support and being part of this daily pulse uh, 
group of people that are just seeking to do better, seeking to live better lives. And uh, I hope this week is just wonderful for you. I hope it liberates you. I hope you realize the awaiting emancipation that awaits you. And I hope that you're willing to take some steps this week. My best of luck to you. And if you don't take those steps this week, by the way, there is time. There is time. And perhaps this can become the impetus for a movement in that direction for you. I wish you the very best. Thanks for hanging out with me today. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.